God is good all the time. We're kind of starting to get back, aren't we? That feels pretty good. It's so good to see you. Yeah, let's give God a hand. First of all, I want to say thank you to Zach Funk for bringing the message last week. Uh, I had told him, a f- yeah. I told him several weeks ago, I said, Zach, grab a bat because you're probably going to have to pinch it at some point and we don't know when, you just be ready. I think I gave him a call on a Thursday and uh, Zach, thank you so very much for uh, bringing the word of God last week. It was incredible. A couple of things, just to kind of let you know where we're going as a church before I I wade in today. Uh, First of all, when we're done with this Navigating the Rapid series, I'm going to go into a new series in the fall called Rebuild. And we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah. On my last Israel trip, I went a couple of days early, and I spent some time underground in Nehemiah's Jerusalem and looked at the walls and, and spent some time just trying to get my head into the head of Nehemiah. I really think that through the scripture, I've discovered some things I really want to share with you about coming out of a COVID crisis, pandemic kind of world. What does it look like to rebuild our lives, our emotions, our our spirits, our marriages, our our families, our, our nation? What does that rebuild look like? So that's where we're going. Secondly, how many of you are reading the New Testament through with me this year? Praise God for you. We just finished 2 Corinthians. We're getting ready to start Galatians. So if anyone asks you, have you read any good books this year? Say yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. You, my friend, have read eight really good books this year. So how wonderful is that? Now, when we get done with our readings this year, we're going to start a three-year journey into the Old Testament. And so one of the things I'm going to be doing on Wednesday nights this fall, I've got an eight-week survey of the first third of the Old Testament. It's called Milk and Honey, Sand and Rock. And I am going to get you so in to the mindset of the Old Testament and have you so ready to read the Old Testament next year that things are gonna come alive to you in ways they never have before. So if you've always considered the Old Testament to be incredibly daunting and, and you just can't understand it, so you've always just let it be, I want you to join me on Wednesday nights at Going Deeper just as soon as we finish the Gospel of John series and I'm gonna prepare you to have the Old Testament come alive. We'll be looking at the first third of the Old Testament. All right, let's get into our subject matter for the day. First of all, let me apologize to you. I'm going to work you really hard today. I'm going to work you really hard. And let me give you a metaphor. How many of you have ever gone whitewater rafting? Would you raise your hand? Those of you at home, feel free to raise your hand. How many of you have gone whitewater rafting on a pretty daunting set of rapids? Would you raise your hand? You guys remember the instructions that you get at first? I mean, you you show up and and the rapids are right in front of you and they give you a series of instructions. They they say, now now you need to pay really close attention because maybe the water's a little higher than usual today and under any circumstances, this is dangerous. 
I need you to pay attention. And I want you to imagine that while the guide is giving everyone the information, that there are two or three people who are not paying attention at all. They're laughing, they're just completely blowing off all of the information, and you're sitting there thinking, they're gonna be in the same raft as me. And finally, the guide just looks at them and says, I need you guys to understand something. You are putting everyone here at risk. But most of all, you're putting yourself at risk because we may hit a situation in just a couple of hours and you're not gonna know what to do. You need to pay attention. So what I wanna tell you today is that we, as we look at navigating the rapids, I just wanna encourage you to pay attention to the scripture today. I wanna encourage you to take notes. Those of you that are home, take notes on this. Spend time with this. Study this. Think about this because I think this message is incredibly important. I had a conversation recently with someone I deeply respect about the last message that I preached here at Christ Church. It should be two weeks ago. My thesis of the message was that I believe we can be a church that stands for biblical truth in a spirit of Christ-like love. I believe we can do that. We can stand for biblical truth and we can do it in a spirit of Christ-like love. So I called this person and I said, I would love to get your feedback on my message. He said, you know, it's all good and well and I 100% agree, but you're gonna have to train people how to do it. When I asked for more clarification, he said, because there will always be this naive notion that if we treat others well, that we will be treated in the same manner. And we won't be. Even from so-called Christians, you're gonna have to help people get past that. When he hung up, I realized he was right. So welcome to Navigating the Rapids training session number one. One of the promises of Jesus to his followers is that the world would hate us. I didn't really hear any amens. I mean, you're really not gonna see that in the informational pamphlet checkout in the store you go to. You know where they have all the inspirational, upbeat stuff like Jesus came to bring you a happy life in four easy steps, that kind of stuff. You're really not gonna see. Jesus promised the world would hate you. That's not gonna be there. Nobody wants to buy that, but it doesn't mean it's not true. So I'm gonna be really, really clear, and I'm sorry if you had to hear it here first, if you stand for biblical truth, even in a spirit of Christ-like love, you will still be persecuted. We will be persecuted by those who do not believe in God. We will be persecuted by a secular state. We will be persecuted by apostate factions within the church. You see, just because we take the high road doesn't mean other people will reciprocate. Satan does not like Christians who stand for the truth and love. I'm just gonna be very open about that. I don't think Christians who stand for the truth in a really bad mood bother the devil all that much because nobody listens to them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever known somebody, they were really right on everything they were standing for, but they just did it so poorly. I don't think they're any threat to Satan at all. But if we decide that we're gonna be a church that stands for biblical truth, in a spirit of Christ-like love, I think we are really problematic to the enemy. And I think he's gonna do everything he can to discourage us. 
and to shut us up and to take us out of play. But James said to resist the devil and he will flee. We, my friends, are the spiritual resistance and being a part of the resistance is risky. There will be a price to pay by people who have never had to pay a price before for their faith. People like you and me. And it won't be easy. And we're gonna have to get used to it. So if you wanna write down a little mantra, a little tweetable saying, it'd be right here, cowboy up buckaroos. Because that's just where things are headed. Now, one thing I've learned about challenging times is that they are crucibles. People will either refocus or get, and get stronger and be purified or they will completely melt down. I look to history during challenging times. I've always trusted historians more than politicians simply because their planes are up so much higher. And so when I look at history, I think to myself, George McClellan would have been considered one of the truly great American generals of the 19th century had the Civil War not been fought. The guy could prayed like you couldn't believe. I mean, he was really good at praying. But because of the war, he kind of lost a little bit of status because he really didn't seem to like to fight. Ulysses S. Grant would have been an utterly forgotten officer in the army with, with not even a mediocre career. And yet, because of the times before him, he found that he possessed something that no one else had. And he becomes the greatest general of the 19th century. In fact, it's almost as if he were born for the task. Psalm 43 is a warrior's song. It's associated with King David. David is a really complex, kind of Renaissance man before the Renaissance. You know, if you could be a Renaissance man in 1000 BC, David is a poet, warrior, king. He is complex, he suffers a lot of adversity. He's deeply flawed, he's disturbingly honest, and he has this very raw heart for God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've made a lot of mistakes in your life. It's rendered you very, very honest, but at the end of it all, you do have this raw love for God. That's David. And I believe David has something to teach us today through a really simple prayer that's gonna be offered in three petitions. So I want you to lean in. This is the instruction before we get into the raft. Petition number one, vindication. Verse one, vindicate me from the deceitful and unjust a lot of David's problems were self-inflicted. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of his problems were self-inflicted, but the subject matter of this psalm is not one of them. David, on this occasion, has been wrong simply because he is God's king. And on this day, he is in the right and his detractors are in the wrong. He has been personally betrayed, he's been unjustly slandered, and now his detractors are trying to take his kingdom. On paper, the warrior king has two choices. He can return evil for evil, and he can literally destroy his enemies. And believe me, David's not above that. Or he can try to defend himself and gather support around him. But he chooses a very different option. He cries out to God. 
He cries out to God, not just for protection, but he ramps things up. He prays for vindication. Dear God, it's not help me survive. It's Lord, help me survive and punish my enemies and make them see that I was serving you. You see, if we're gonna stand for biblical truth in a spirit of love, we're gonna have to learn to go to God. We're gonna have to trust God for vindication and we're gonna have to stop attacking our enemies and we're gonna have to stop trying to vindicate ourselves. David trusted in God for vindication. That is what he's getting at in Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Did you know the 23rd Psalm has this how do you like me now piece to it. It's like you died and went to a Toby Keith song. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What's he saying? I am vindicated. I am vindicated. God, you have thrown a feast for me. I've stood for righteousness and you are vindicating me and you're making my enemies watch. We don't have to do that stuff ourselves. God does that stuff. Petition number two, refuge. Verse two, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Can I just paraphrase? Dear God, if you don't shelter my soul, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. Dear God, it's not just protection here. Refuge is different than protection. Protection can be temporary. Refuge means that you are secure in a high place. Sometimes we go to God because we want to. And sometimes we go to God because there's nowhere else to go. David's personal life was utterly wrecked. I mean, the family of David would have made the world's greatest first reality show. But David always knew where to go when the rapids got too rough to navigate. The hymn writer said, where could I go but to the Lord? When things get really tough, we need to cry out to God and ask him to be our refuge. Petition number three, light and truth. Verse three, send out your light and truth. Bob Dylan wrote, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. We all know the feeling. You see, it's not just people who don't know God who get lost. Sometimes people of strong faith, loving hearts and good intentions get swept away by the raging current. We tried to hold it all together, and we do until we don't. And then the dam breaks and the water flows and we cannot stop or control it. To pray for light is to pray for the ability to see through the fog, to grasp the big picture, to know that one day we will step on solid ground, to know where the solid ground is. In a relativistic world, truth seems up for grabs. There's my truth and your truth, Democrat truth, Republican truth, Fox News truth and CNN truth, urban truth, rural truth, orthodox truth, progressive truth. Our culture seems to define truth as the sum of our perceptions. And our culture says truth is always changing. But for the biblical authors, truth was a constant in a world of variables. Truth was an unbending bulwark and an reflected the immutable nature of a holy God. 
You say, well, what is truth? Pilate asked that, didn't he? What is truth? Jesus answered the question himself. I am the truth. You want to know truth? Then get to know Jesus. How do you get to know Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are marvelous places to begin. There are so many people today trying to put words in Jesus' mouth. They're trying to make Jesus the lovely spokesmodel for all of their causes and all of their politics. My friends, we don't get to put words in the mouth of Jesus because he said words for himself. We need to read what he had to say and stop trying to hijack his message. When our truth comes into conflict with the truth, when our little T truths come into conflict with the big T truth, we find ourselves at odds with God. You see, I I have this really simple way that I guide my life. If my sensibilities are different than the clear and consistent teaching of the Bible, then I am the one who's in the wrong. I don't need to argue with the clear and consistent teachings of the Bible. I remember once I was reading something and I, and I thought to myself, I disagree with that. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. And then I looked down and, and what I was reading was in red letters. And I thought, well, Jesus said that. Me and Jesus are having an argument. And I've just decided anytime me and Jesus have an argument, Jesus is gonna win. He's gonna win. I have submitted myself to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in my life. I have submitted myself to his truth and I pray that his truth becomes my truth. You see, truth does not bow to culture. Truth is not contextual. Truth is simply true. So if the truth you think you have or the illumination you believe yourself to possess leads you anywhere other than to God, it's a false truth. And a falsehood doesn't become a truth just because you really, really, really want to believe it. And then he says, may they lead me to your dwelling. You wanna know where the truth and the light will always lead us? It will always lead us to God. It will always lead us to the word of God. It will always lead us to the house of God. That's why it's so important in these tumultuous times in our culture that this church is open. I praise God for the option of of being online. We have people that worship with us all over the world every single Sunday, and I praise God for each and every one of you. And as important as that is, it is every bit as important that this house of worship is open in this space. Because in tumultuous times, people seeking light and truth will always be drawn to the house of the Lord, and I wanna make sure this place is open when they arrive. Verse four, may they lead to your dwelling and then I'll go to the altar. Do you wanna know where the light of truth leads us? It doesn't lead us to Facebook. It doesn't lead us to our computers. It doesn't lead us to our cell phones. It leads us to our knees. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. I've gotta be very transparent with you. In this utterly conflicted culture where the more you know, the less things seem clear, 
sometimes I don't know how to pray. I, I just don't know how to pray. There are times I just have to let the Holy Spirit pray through me. But I do know that a lot of times when we don't know what to pray, we normally pray that God would change others. <laughs> God, please change all those people out there. Amen, because they need it. Here's the deal. God is not gonna override human free will. I'm sorry if we're doing theology here together, but I did tell you I was gonna work you. God is not gonna override human free will. If he wanted to do that, he should have done that with Adam and Eve in the garden and taken that piece of fruit and knocked it out of their hands and said, cut that out. God's not gonna do that. God does not override human free will because we would not be able to love God if love wasn't a choice. God's not gonna override. So you wanna pray a prayer that God's sure to answer and it's not a waste of your time? I got a great prayer for you. Write this down. God, change me. God, change me. I watch the news and I say, God, change me. I see what's going on in this nation. I say, God, change me. I see the hate and I see the vitriol out there and I say, God, change me. You wanna know why I pray that? Because that's a prayer God wants to answer eight days a week. How long should we pray? Until God changes us. Until God changes us. I remember one of the worst movie quotes of all time, which is why I remember it. I remember really great things and really terrible things. I believe it was Sylvester Stallone in the movie Cobra. Did anyone see Cobra? Okay, don't go out of your way. Someone said to Stallone, you've got a bad attitude. And he said, and I quote, yeah, but it's the only one I got. Have you ever gone to the Lord with a bad attitude, but it was the only one you had? <laughs> pray until you don't have that anymore. Remember the old push method, pray until something changes? Right? Pray until something happens. Just go to the Lord in prayer and pray that God will change you, even as I pray that God will change me. And he says, then I'll go to the altar and I will praise you with exceeding joy. Now David gets excited about what life is gonna look like once he gets out of the rapids. We need to pray until we get a vision for the future. We need to pray until we get, start getting excited about what lies ahead. David starting to get a little energy because hope comes through prayer. As David prays, he just feels the walls beginning to crumble around him. He feels freedom is on its way. He feels something good is about to happen. We need to pray until we start getting a hold of the optimism of a holy God. Because I got great news for you. Those of you that are reading the Bible through this year, the New Testament, and those of you that maybe have never done it before, I got great news to, for you. So this is a spoiler alert. So just plug up your ears if you don't want to hear it. Here's, here it is, you ready? God wins. God wins. We need to pray until the victory of God takes root in our heart and we need to start thanking God for the victory even before we see it. And I love this. Verse five. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? 
Why are you disquieted? You ever, you ever just have to have a talk with yourself? You guys know what I'm talking about? Can I use a little Southern Illinois axiom? Have you ever just had to grab yourself by your own hind end and just say, hey, I am going to need an attitude adjustment and it really needs to start now. David is talking to himself. You know, there are times in life that we just need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Can I hear an amen from somebody? There are times in life we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. There are times in life we need to send a decline to our own pity party that we organize. There are times in life we need to sit down with Jesus and just have a talk. And we need to ask ourselves, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Oh, my soul. And as a kid, we sang a song called Count Your Blessings in Church. Did anybody ever sing that when you were a kid? Count Your Blessings. I would sing it, but to be honest with you, I sang a song called I Just Want to Be a Sheep when we were outside, and then I heard it, and it was so bad, I thought I really need to cut that out. I'm embarrassing my family. But it says, count your blessings, name them one by one. The big idea is if you get your eyes on how blessed you are, you're gonna have one kind of reality. And if you get your eyes on anything else, you're gonna have a very different kind of reality. You remember Peter, when he saw Jesus walking on the water? He got out of the boat. I love this. He got out of the boat. Is that what you would have thought to do? You know, there's Jesus, I'm gonna walk to him. Never would have crossed my mind. Peter gets out, he's walking on the water, and he is walking as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts looking at all the waves around him, he sinks like a rock. My friend, it's true with us. If we keep our eyes on Jesus in this set of rapids, if we keep our eyes on the guide, if we do what the guide tells us to do, we will get through this and we will be better for it. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we are suddenly on our own. You want a sure recipe for misery and despair? Just be a real busybody. Accentuate the negative. Believe everything you hear or read. Oh, repeat and retweet things that you don't know are true. That's a good one. Follow every possible scenario to its worst extreme. Whine to everybody. And I guarantee you, you will live in dysfunctional drama all the days of your life and you will pass it to your children and your children's children. Or you could choose another path. You could get so busy worshiping God, thanking God, and serving God that you just don't have time for all that foolishness. You see, our minds are sometimes our greatest enemies. I remember when I was a young man, I was probably 22, 23, just out of college. Melissa and I had been married for maybe a couple of years. Zach was on his way, and I had everything in the world going for me. I was a history teacher. My baseball team won conference. My basketball team maybe lost a game all year. It wasn't because I had any idea what I was doing. I just had a really good group of kids. But I mean, I had everything in the world going for me. And I just got down. Have you ever just had a season you didn't even know why you were down, but you certainly weren't counting your blessings. And everything just seemed to be pressing in. 
developed some kind of growth on me and they cut it off and they were sending it off for a biopsy. So here I am, 22 years old. I'm already down and I'm sitting there thinking, I, I just, I may have cancer. And I heard that there was this gospel meeting down at SIU in, in a ballroom and, and the speaker, I had never really heard of him, but have you ever come to church when you were desperate to hear God? Yeah, that, that's how I was. I was desperate to hear God. And he handed out this thing. I'm gonna talk, this is 35 years ago. He handed out this thing called Medicine for the Mind. And, and all it is is this list of scriptures that's what God says about you. And he said, you're gonna have to decide whether you believe what you say about you or whether you believe what God says about you. You're gonna have to decide who you're gonna believe. And I already told you, I'd already decided I was gonna believe Jesus over me. So if I'm believing Jesus over me and Jesus says stuff about me, I'm gonna have to take his word for it. So here's some of the scriptures. I'm a child of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through the love of Jesus. I have the mind of Christ. I'm wearing the helmet of salvation. I walk in the spirit. I've girded up the loins of my mind. I am an oak of righteousness. I'm a tree planted by rivers of living water. And the list just went on and on and on. And he said, every time you get down, pull this list out and you just start reading it. Even if you have to read it 200 times. He said, if you have to read it 200 times today, I'll guarantee you only have to read it 198 times tomorrow. He said, you get this and you wait until some of these scriptures take root in your heart and it will change things for you. And guess what? One of these scriptures took root in my heart. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You wanna know what happened? I understood that I I could be strong because God is who God is. It doesn't depend on me. I can be strong because of who God is. He is my refuge. He is my salvation. I, I put this on Realm, and I put it on the church Facebook, and I've also put it on my professional Reverend Shane L. Bishop Facebook site. So if you wanna cut and paste this and get a copy of this, I'd encourage you to do it. It was sure a game changer for me and every now and then I still pull it out. And then it finally concludes, I hope in God who I again shall praise. Hope has to do with believing that things unfold as they should, that God controls the outcome of the cosmos and that all along the journey, God is worthy of our praise. David ends this thought by saying things are still bad. I'm still in the rapids, things aren't looking good, but I can't wait to get on the other side of this because God, I am gonna give you some kind of praise. Mature Christians know that praise and thanksgiving begin long before the prayer is answered. Start praising God now for what you need in your life. People of God, let's not allow the fear of the rapids. Keep us from moving into the power, love, and sound minds that God has for us. Let's anticipate the challenges. It's gonna be hard. You know, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to stand for Jesus, and it's gonna be hard to do it in a Christ-like spirit. Both of those things are really hard, and we can either trust God to get us through it and enable us to do it, or we can all just call the wambulance. It's just what we got in front of us. 
So let's anticipate the challenges. Let's prepare for the challenges. Let's get a little Tom Petty theology going and just say, I will not back down. Gates of hell come at me, I will not back down. I will resist the devil and he will flee in the name of Jesus. There are times you just gotta get tougher than the devil. I believe we can get through these rapids. And I believe God can so do things in our hearts through this time that would have never happened otherwise that once we do, the greatest days of this church, which has an incredible history, I believe our greatest days are ahead of us because I believe God is gonna change us through this period of time and I believe that as we stand for biblical truth in a spirit of Christ-like love and as we refuse to back down and we refuse to be driven off who we are and whose we are, I believe we are gonna find an incredible voice in this culture that this world needs to hear. So what do we do? I got six quick things. Here we go. Number one, pray for illumination. Dear God, would you just shine your light on me? I'm not seeing very well. Just shine your light on me. Number two, pray for truth, the big T, truth. Say, pastor, how do I know what's true? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Where's a good place to start? New Testament. Read it. Join our Bible reading. You can just start in Galatians today. Join on Realm. We've got a Facebook page called Reverend Shane's 2020. Read the Bible through or walk through the Bible or something like that. But read the Bible. Pray for truth. It'll be illuminated there. Number three, enter the house of God. Enter the house of God. Can I just put something out there for you? The one place we should never attempt to multitask is when we're in the house of God. So think about where you're gonna go to lunch later. Think about your chances of beating the Baptists to lunch later. Think about what you're gonna do after this later. Think about your grocery list later. I've told this story before. I always thought I could multitask and I was in a church service and this person was preaching. I thought I was hanging okay. And, that, and I was kinda doing other things too. And I was kinda, then I wasn't really hearing the preacher a lot and then all of a sudden my phone went ding! And it informed me that I just bought a baseball off of eBay signed by Johnny Bench, which was really awesome, just not what I should have been doing in church. And God just kind of spoke to me, Captain, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. When you come to church, I get your full attention. Did you know the, worship, the word worship in Greek is proskunio? That's the New Testament language, Quinea Greek. Proskunio means to turn towards something for the purpose of offering a kiss. We need to worship and turn our attention toward God for the purpose of communion with him. Number four, have a come to Jesus talk with yourself. You remember the old American classic song, I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter. Boy, we need to do that. Just, just sign the letter, dear Captain Weak Sauce, and you just give yourself a good come to Jesus letter. Number five, pour out your heart to God. Sometimes I read stuff on Facebook and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's not the kind of stuff you tell the public, that's the kind of stuff you tell friends. And then it occurs to me, maybe these people don't have any friends. The hymn writer wrote, what a friend we have in Jesus. I just want you to know you can trust Jesus with your heart. 
You can trust him with those ugly places in your life. You can trust Jesus. So just pour out your heart to him. He can handle it. He can handle all of those areas of your life. Pour it out. Empty yourself. And then number six, fill yourself with worship. Just worship in praise to the Lord. Worship in praise. Empty yourself of all the bad stuff. Jesus, forgive me. I don't want this. I can't believe that you'll take it, but thank you, Jesus. I, I say that every day the trash truck comes by on Wednesdays. Man, I got a whole bunch of stuff. It smells terrible in the summer. I don't want it, but thank you, Jesus. There's somebody willing to take it. That's how God is with our sin. He will take our sin. Pour it out. Empty yourself out and let God fill you with his presence. When you take a raft down a river and you hit a rapids, there is a point of no return. Christ Church, there will be no going back. We cannot go back to the way things were before COVID. And frankly, there's some things, particularly in this nation, we don't want to go back to anyway. There's no going back, but we can go forward. And I want to prophesy that in the strong name of Jesus, our best days at Christ Church and our most effective days in ministry are still ahead of us and not behind. And I wanna prophesy in the name of Jesus, your best days and your best days in ministry are still ahead of you and not behind. So let's face the future boldly. Let's stand tall for Jesus. Let's trust God to vindicate us. And rather than be filled with fear as we enter the rapids, why don't we just hold on and have the time of our lives. Almighty God, thank you for your word. And thank you for the way it speaks to us in the right now. So speak to us right now. Fit us for your service. That you may say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' strong name, amen.